Okay, so hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of Default Global. This is where we connect with global first entrepreneurs, tech leaders, remote work experts from all around the world. Our guest today is Brian Noel, a startup tech leader. Uh, Brian, thanks for joining us today. Ah, thanks very much, Vita. Appreciate the opportunity. Sure. So, Brian, before we dive in, could you briefly walk us through your career in, in, in tech and point out maybe any key moments that really shaped your path? Yeah, for sure. I, um, I'm actually not classically trained as an engineer. My, my undergraduate and graduate degrees are in botany, and I, I sort of parlayed that into an engineering career through some of the software that I used in graduate school. And so I, I started out on proprietary platforms and languages in the early to mid 1990s and just kind of gradually transitioned into what, what I think people today would recognize as more standard engineering functions. Um, and so I spent the first 15 years of my career as a consultant. Um, the reason I really value that experience is because it, it exposed me to lots and lots of problems very quickly. Um, and so that was enjoyable. And then once I started a family, I kind of transitioned over to product-based product -based, uh, engineering and eventually leadership just because it allows me to sit in one place most of the time. Um, so yeah, I think in terms of, you know, key moments or transition points that the learning process of going from being a consultant and solving a problem for a year or two um, into product-based work where all the problems I solve or create, I'm sort of biting off and owning for, for the rest of my time here. Um, it, it changes the way you think a little bit when you're doing engineering and team building. Got it. So, uh, I mean, according to your to, to, to your background, you have seen both sides of the tech world, coding and leading, right? <clears throat> mm -hmm. And as, as a tech leader, can you share how you help tech teams, especially, especially remote tech teams in uh, company growth align? You know, especially if you're talking about startups that are just getting off the ground or expanding. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, every engineer does this at some point in their career um, where we want to be building fancy solutions with, with shiny new technologies, right? And, and when you transition into leadership, you kind of get exposed to, you know, the business is worried about who we are, what we build, and how are we going to be compensated for that? I mean, the business exists to make money in some form or fashion. And so you have to align, hey, we build, you know, we build an HRIS system or we build a mapping system or whatever it is that we do in our industry. And you quickly realize that Ruby on Rails doesn't make you money. Java doesn't make you money. .NET doesn't make you money. Um, it's, it's how fast can you get features to market and in front of customers to establish some sort of feedback loop that will grow your product and your business. And so 
you know, I, I've I've had good luck just reminding people that you know our job is to select appropriate technologies to solve a problem, and if we can't solve the problem for a customer, it doesn't matter how many lines of code we write, it doesn't matter how fast our tests run, or or how good our CI/CD pipeline is. Um, and so, you know, part of it is just a conversation about, hey, here's the business mission, and here is how the business continues to exist. But then I also think um, what you measure in engineering matters as well. And so, you know, I have typically focused on measuring some mix of leading and lagging indicators that have very little to do with the technology we've selected. Um, quality is important no matter what language you're writing in. Uh, speed to market, uh, frequency of deployment, your confidence and ability to deploy and roll back and deploy again. Those things are all independent of the technologies you select. And so I've tried to tip, typically focus on those types of metrics um, when working with engineering teams and, and kind of aligning them to what the business needs. Yeah, and as a VP of engineering, you have had this experience of building remote engineering teams across the US, right? And also expanding into Latin America. And speaking about LATAM, right? I'm just curious, what motivate, what motivated that decision, right? Were there any key moments or consideration that led you to this to this way, kind of? Yeah, I think as the business began to gain traction and we began to see a trajectory of upward growth, it very quickly became apparent to us, you know, we, we kind of went through a, a large period of growth during the pandemic. And while the growth was great, we were going to have to hire into a really hot market. And so, you know, selfishly speaking, some of the motivation was financial at the end of the day. I could not effectively scale to meet the demands of growth at constantly escalating onshore salaries. Uh, it just wasn't going to be practical. But the other, the other thing that really drove us in this direction was um, the organization that I'm a part of really focuses on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. And we kind of had to look at ourselves and say, all right, if I agree that talent is equally distributed around the globe, or nearly so, then why am I only focusing in the United States when I'm recruiting that talent, when there are good engineers everywhere there's an internet connection? Um, and so that was the, I think that was the tipping point for us was to say, hey, if we are truly going to adhere to these values that we've established, then we need to acknowledge we can hire from anywhere and integrate those people into our teams. And speaking about uh, obstacles that you faced, uh, what kinds of obstacles uh, or worries did you initially face at that first step? I mean, I think we had some internal heartburn um, we had a US-based team, and all of those engineers are were at the time keenly concerned about, oh, are you are you replacing all of us? And so we had to have those internal conversations about no, we're not 
We're not swapping one for the other. We are building a more diverse team and we are leveraging a global pool of talent instead of a continental US-based pool of talent, right? Um, so there was some of that, I think, on the sort of logistics of hiring globally. I, I was concerned about kind of compliance. How am I going to manage uh, adhering to local regulations? How am I going to ensure that what I am paying people is equitable for where they live? Um, all of the kind of legal administrative paperwork, that was a concern. And so that's, that's something I'm never going to have the bandwidth to deal with on my own, which is why we ultimately partnered with GoGloby, because that, that just removes an entire suite of problems from the table right out of the gate. And, and that's awesome. And uh, looking back, which of those concerns were kind of real? were real kind of problem right and which were just 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 sort of myth um i i think all of the internal all of the internal worry and anxiety was a myth uh ultimately at the end of the day uh, we still maintain a huge us-based footprint with our engineering teams uh, and that's not likely to change going forward um you know, I do think there are some kind of compliance related concerns that are valid. I mean, the company could potentially open themselves up to legal exposure if they're not treating if they're not treating their global resources in the correct way. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a it's a relatively straightforward thing to solve. Um, if you have the right partnership in place. One of the uh, interesting, the biggest challenge for all of this process for us was, how do I get a MacBook to an engineer in Brazil or wherever they're sitting, right? Like that was the biggest thing was, okay, they're more expensive there than they are here. I don't wanna deal with customs and everything else and so, you know, like like many things in business, you throw a little bit of money at the problem and it goes away. So, and and I'm just just I know that, but how did you did you solve that problem? Ultimately, we just said, hey, when you sign on with Bonusly, if you want to work for us, we're going to award you a signing bonus. The intent is that you show up to work with a a Mac based machine, and so. The, the signing bonus, um, you know, kind of offsets that expense if the mm -hmm. engineer doesn't already have a machine that's suitable for use, um, or, you know, they get to, they get to uh, share the extra income with their family. We don't really care as long as you show up on day one ready to work, so, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, and uh, let's talk a bit about your selection process while you were mm -hmm. hiring outside of the US, right? My, my question is, did you notice any distinct differences between the hiring process in the US and in Latin America? Um, I mean, the biggest no difference I noticed was I didn't have to build the funnel, um, which was a huge time saver for me. Um, in terms of the overall process itself, the, you know, the, the only thing 
that we changed was I think we we made the process a little bit more abbreviated just because we were hiring at a very competitive time for engineers in Latin America. And so if we ordinarily would have done a four-step process, we did a three-step process. Um, but I think, you know, I would encourage people that are considering going this route to really plan out what you want the interview and talent evaluation process to look like, um, you know, make it objective, make it repeatable and be decisive. Um, as we've crested the economic wave kind of into a bit of a downturn post pandemic, everyone is looking for the perfect candidate for their role. And the same principles of hiring apply today that applied in 2021 at the peak of the hiring blitz, you know, find someone smart that can do the job, pay them a fair wage. And, and that's sort of the approach we used um, when we went international. And um, kind of building a remote team from different parts of the world into just one let's say productive unit can be tough you know mm -hmm. and this this skill that very few tech leaders excel at right so what were maybe some of the um major challenges you faced during that integration of your new team members with your us based team yeah and we actually i have done kind of the have a remote team paradigm in the past and other areas of the globe. Um, and I think there are a whole bunch of well understood challenges with that. Um, and so what we elected to do was to not build um, a nearshore or, or international team, we elected to integrate them, to sprinkle them across teams we already had. And so they were integrated as team members into groups that already existed. Um, and then that sort of mitigates the risk of, Hey, we have one team with one culture and one working style over here. And then we have these other three teams that were here before and trying to, trying to just manage those dynamics. It was much more fruitful for us to integrate them directly into our existing engineering teams. Um, and so I think that allowed us to just completely circumvent a lot of the challenges that organizations see with, hey, I have a, an international team sitting over here uh, and, and things aren't quite working out the way I expected. Well, no, you just have teams and they are comprised of people that sit anywhere, um, which really worked out well for us in terms of overall speed of onboarding, integration into the overall corporate culture and you know speed to speed to productivity as well. Uh, is there anything you wish you would known before undertaking that integration? Um, no, I don't think so. I, I think early on in the process, like there are dozens, if not more organizations individual people uh, out there that are trying to farm you Latin American or international talent as an engineering leader, right? And so I, I still today get 
probably 10 emails a week from people. Let us source international talent from you. And so I think really, I would have skipped over a whole bunch of conversations. I would have skipped over interacting with a bunch of organizations or individuals that ultimately went nowhere. Um, and you really want to zero in on a reputable organization that can provide you with references that can say, hey, we have worked with these names that are recognizable in software engineering. And I mean, that would have cut two months off the front of the process for me. Um, but like anything uh, in the world where there is money to be made, there is going to be um, there is going to be a core set of people that know what they're doing, and then there are going to be a bunch of hangers on. And I think the thing I would have changed is getting some knowledge and avoiding the hangers on at the front of that process. Yeah, it totally makes sense. You know, I talked to a lot of CTOs, like everyday VP of engineering, CTO, tech leaders, right? And one of those main concerns that they have in terms of like a global hiring is basically communication, right? So did you find any, like, uh, did you find distinct communication styles between your domestic and Latin America teams? And how did you, how did that shape collaboration and team dynamics? Yeah, I think for just general overall communication skills, every single candidate that we interviewed uh, and interacted with, communicated in English effectively, like all of that, can we talk to each other and understand each other? That all went away very, very quickly. Uh, in terms of overall communication style, our Latin American engineers tend to leave much more unsaid. Uh, I think, you know, if you, if you ask one of my US-based engineers to explain something, you'll get a much longer explanation than if I went to one of my Latin American engineers and say, hey, how did you do that? Well, it's only going to take them 30 seconds to get their thought out of their head because they're just going to assume you know all the backstory, um, which is good. It's effective. It makes for very efficient interactions, things of that nature. Um, I, I can't think of anything communication wise that is served as a barrier everyone has high speed internet everyone has good equipment everyone shows up ready to work every day um and so it's it's largely been a non-issue for us okay um and as a question then were there any unique strengths or skills that you notice among your uh latin america latin american engineers uh, this is going to be a generalization, um, but I think it still applies. I see a lot more willingness to just go tackle a technology problem coming out of the gate. Um, you know, I, I think for people that sit with me in Colorado, there's all the other overhead of what's going on in the company happening. And if I go to one of my Latin American engineers and say, hey, do you know how to use Kafka? Uh, no, no, but let's talk in a couple of days. And this just the, the overt willingness to go figure something out, uh, even things that are not glamorous, right? Like, hey, 
we have this whole suite of cucumber tests over here that's breaking and we can't figure out why. Oh, I'll take care of it. Come talk to me tomorrow. Um, so whether it's learning something new or just like, hey, we need you to dig ditches for a while. Um, there's no, there's no argument. There's no hand wringing. There's no prevarication involved. It's just, sure, I'll do that. Um, and so I think, you know, I, I definitely saw this in myself as I started developing as an engineer. There were things I enjoyed doing and there were things I didn't enjoy doing. Um, and I could always find a reason to get up and get another cup of coffee if, if I was trying to, to fix a bunch of unit tests or something. Um, and I generally do not see that with our international resources. Okay, that's interesting. Um, in so probably, do you have any tips for tech leaders for tech companies interested in hiring globally? Where should they start? Should they start with just maybe hiring near shore, you know, engineering team, or they can start with this full time uh, contractors or employees right away? What is your thought about that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to come down to overall business needs and the size and stage of the company. But I think the first step is getting past that word global. We hear global and we think complexity and regulations and you know cross-border transactions and data security, whatever else. Just put all that out of your head for a minute. And if you're a large company that already has numerous engineering teams and you want to, for example, leverage the 24-hour clock, then you know a, a scenario like the Asia-Pacific region where you can have a team working overnight, that may make sense for you if you have the infrastructure to support that. In the startup environment, like if you need three engineers that are just really strong engineers and want to work, uh, and having them in or near your time zone uh, is important so that you can interact with them, um, then I think you know Latin America is a, is an excellent option in that case. And there's there's kind of every case in between. I've also talked to other tech leaders who. Yes, we have people in Venezuela and Ukraine and Romania, and um, they've gone fully distributed around the globe. Um, but I think you can do it with one engineer. You can do it with five engineers or something bigger than that. But don't let, don't let that word global be the barrier to you jumping in, because once we made the decision and found a partner, I mean, we had a team. Of, we had a, a, a team of Latin American engineers working in six or eight weeks, and we started the process of looking and investigating in March, and we had teams in place committing code and running builds by May. And I don't know if that's possible trying to hire in the U.S. right now. And, and speaking about uh, engineers, right? Uh, for for those global tech uh, talent who are listening to us right now, what is your advice on how they can join a growing U.S. tech company like Bonusly or similar? Yeah, I think, you know, find a reputable and recognized partner. Like you don't, you don't want just some Yahoo putting 
your credentials and, and resume out there for you without a proper support structure in place. But I think look for an organization that is going to provide the support that you need in country. And then when you're evaluating options for organizations to work with in the US, you know, find a place that is committed to truly committed to diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Uh, find a place that culturally aligns with your values and step in, uh, be assertive, be opinionated and, and, and speak your mind as you're onboarding into the organization. But I think step forward and make yourself an integrated and indispensable part of the team um, and, and you should be successful. That's awesome. I guess, I guess we're good. Uh, thanks a lot, Brian, for your valuable insights on leading and developing tech teams on those nuances of global hiring, particularly in Latin America. Uh, we wish you continued success in your journey. Uh, take care and all the best. Thanks, Vit. I appreciate the opportunity.